Welcome everyone to uh, Block 336 and to uh, System Failure. This is the fourth of a six-part conversation um, which we've been holding via ArtQuest. My name is Russell Martin. I'm the director of ArtQuest and an artist as well. This has, this has been the conversation that I've been kind of most nervous about because it's the one that I have zero experience of the issues that are at play. So I've been asking a lot of friends who, are, who have families what kind of things might come up. Um, so um, so uh, we do want it to be quite interactive and have a kind of bigger conversation uh, with all of you. The way we're going to run it is that I'll do this once I've stopped talking about this introduction. We'll hear from Ellie and then we'll hear from Lucy and then we'll have a conversation between us and then we'll open it out um, amongst everyone who's here as well. Um, the reason that we started doing these conversations was that as artists we tend to spend a lot of time putting the world to rights in the pub or with our friends or whatever, and we thought, well, it might be quite good to try and actually put the world to rights by having slightly more open conversations and then seeing what we as an organisation can do about that afterwards with our other partners and artists that we work with. Um, so, since uh, the, the title of the series is System Failure, so we are looking at the art world as a whole system, so although we are separating our individual topics for conversation, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of crossover between other things that we're talking about, uh, which is inevitable um, and, and fine. So the, the conversation will probably be quite wide-ranging, and that's also uh, a good thing. So the reason that we wanted to have one conversation, particularly around family, was that it comes up a lot uh, for ArtQuest, especially online. We get a lot of... Uh, requests for the timings of our events and the kind of opportunities that we offer and the kind of opportunities that we highlight. So we thought it would be good to have a more focused conversation specifically about families and the challenges that those throw up. Um, it's also increasingly a diversity issue as well, that uh, the, the balance between uh, male and female artists, male and female arts professionals, uh, and things like uh, earnings. We, there was a recent piece of research done that found that men in the art world earn 32% more than women in the art world on average, which is a colossal difference. Uh, it's often a money issue, and money is a kind of perennial issue across the art world for artists. So although I'm assuming a lot of, or a fair amount of the conversation today might also be around money, I also do want to focus specifically on what the other issues outside of money are as well. Obviously we'll touch on that. I think there's a, a structural thing in the art world as well that the, the art world, the media, the wider world expects that artists are kind of white, male, bohemian, living this kind of footloose, fancy food lifestyle, drinking a lot, and it's, and it's not very helpful in terms of what the actual makeup of artists are. Uh, and also, anecdotally, we've been increasingly hearing from uh, younger female artists who think that the choice is between either having a family or being an artist. So it's, so it's kind of becoming quite an urgent issue that we're being faced with when we're talking with artists um, around this subject. So what we really want to explore today is what is the place of family for artists in the art world? What could it be? What we can do on our side to help make the changes that we need? What we can encourage those changes to be in other people in the art world and outside of the art world? and to reinforce the idea that the art world is something that we are all a part of. It's not something that's done 
to us something that we participate in. So what way we can take, what way we can own that and res have responsibility for that and what we need to help to try to change. The talk is going to be audio recorded. Um, so if I can ask everyone to make their mobile phone not make a noise, do keep it on and tweet and all the rest of it. Uh, Nick, who's also a member of ArtQuest at the back, is going to be tweeting on the hashtag AQ system failure. Um, so please do join in from that if, if Twitter's your thing. Um, without any further ado, we'll go to Ellie, Ellie Reese. Thanks, Russell. Really brief introduction. My name's Ellie Reese. I mainly work in moving image, but actually my practice has changed quite a lot since having a child, interestingly. Um, I'm just going to launch straight into why am I interested in this particular subject. And funnily enough, I feel like before I had a baby, I maybe fitted that male, white male stereotype that you're talking about relatively footloose and fancy free, definitely single, I travelled a lot, my existence was very hand to mouth, I definitely drank too much, but my whole life was really focused on my artwork and my career in that regard. Um, and I actually found myself pregnant when I was in the middle of a three month residency in New York, and I knew I was coming home for a week before I then had another two month residency in Norway, so it was unplanned and for me the main issue was fear, and I really, that idea that a lot of young women have of a sort of um, uh, the dichotomy of choice between either it's a child or it's my artwork really resonates with me. Less so now that I'm three years down the line and expecting another one, but um, at the time that really did seem like the stark option. Um, I actually, the first piece of work I made while I was on that residency was a series of thomatropes that span saying bad artist, bad mother, which I think was what I envisaged my future to be. How can I possibly create a creature and sustain its life and continue creating my work and sustaining its life? And that did, that felt very real to me at the time. Um, of course, the reality is that there's then a dramatic, almost overnight change when you do have your child. There's a man in the room. That's great. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I started to really investigate um, why I felt that fear. And I think talking to other um, artist parents, why they felt that fear and why there was the assumption that they or we weren't going to be supported by the art world or that you Im immediately thought that that was going to be a negative issue rather than a positive thing. Um, and anecdotally, I think it can be very real and very tangible. The, f the, first, the very first thing that happened to me, I was still pregnant. I was back in the country, and I had been awarded a Jerwood Fellowship, which went on for a relatively long period of time. It's about four or five years. And it was <clears throat> with two other artists, a poet and a composer, and we'd been um, asked to devise a new opera. It was very exciting. It was quite a lot of money. It was quite prestigious. We felt under quite a lot of pressure. And the first thing that happened was that um, I started to... N I wasn't invited to the first production meeting of the opera, and I didn't realise why. And one of my colleagues phoned me and said, why weren't you at the meeting? And I said, oh, I don't know. Um, and then I, I had a phone call from the composer who is a woman, N not malicious, I don't think, in any way at all, but the first thing she said to me was, I honestly really didn't think you'd necessarily want to be part of the project anymore now that you're pregnant. 
Um, and that, it, that sounds like it's not true, because it sounds exaggerated and hyperbolic. It is totally exactly what happened. And I was so insulted and so outraged. Um, and of course, I very much wanted to be part of the project. In fact, more than ever, I wanted to be um, engaged in what I was doing. Um, and I realized quite quickly that the reason other people think that there might be an issue is why I thought there might be an issue, which is that having a child, for me, having a child and creating my work are very similar things. They both require undivided attention. They both require an inordinate amount of love and time. And they require a certain type, for me, a certain type of energy. It's the same kind of energy. They're both very creative things. Um, and as an artist, one is used to that, from that, those demands from one's work. What happens when you have a child is you have those demands from your work and you have those demands from a child. So you've got it from, from two sides. And then fundamentally, and I won't talk about money too much, I promise, but fundamentally both of those jobs that are incredibly time-consuming and take everything of your very being are unpaid. So then you end up in... There's... Um, uh, an American painter who I've been listening to talk recently, she's got a 27-year-old and an 11-year-old, so she talks about <coughs> the difference when she was having her first child and the second child with this enormous gap. She talks about a line versus a triangle um, in terms of the infrastructure of your life as an artist, and I really relate to that. And she's, she says, you know, you've got your artwork and you've got to earn a living, and we're all in that position, so whatever kind of artist you are, you're not necessarily making your money from your practice. Um, for me, as my career grew, those things became more intrinsically linked, so it became teaching art and lecturing and residencies and fun grants and things. Um, and long gone, thankfully, are the days of having to do temping and part-time jobs. But still, it was kind of doing this to subsidise doing what I really wanted to do. And then a child and family comes along and the line becomes a triangle and you've got the art and the child and earning a living, which arguably is more punishing if you're an artist professional as opposed to any other type of professional because most other professions equal monetary remuneration, whereas they don't um, when you're an artist. So that was a, a major issue that I face, and I think probably most of us face. Um, do, 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 do. In practical terms, and kind of just in terms of my identity as an artist and me as a person, that linear thing moving into a triangle was also about time being taken away and about physical time in the home and not being able to have physical time elsewhere. I was single and flexible without dependence and the way that I had structured my life, I taught um, professional development at Chelsea for many years. I always used to talk to my students about the fact that you have to create an infrastructure for yourself as an artist. It's very individual and you're pulling on all of these things from all over the place to make sure that you have what you need as an artist and a person to sustain that particular lifestyle. And my infrastructure had to completely change. I'd, I'd got to the point where residencies were really key for me. And, and not just from the point of view of giving you time, giving one time to make work, but you meet other artists, you make friendships, you have relationships with people, you meet gallerists, you meet curators, and there's time to actually produce, but 
there's a whole world that you are part of. Um, and once that becomes international, that sort of becomes even more important. And I'd got to the point where I was almost doing them back to back. And I was rent subletting my flat in London. And um, there was always somewhere to live, a studio to work in, usually a stipend or some kind of bursary. And I was making work. And that just ended overnight. So um, the earning a living bit of my triangle had to completely change, um, which was really, really hard. Um, that hand-to-mouth existence that had suited me, I mean, I think it's... I've heard people call it selfish. I don't know if being an artist is quite a selfish pursuit anyway. I mean, there's an argument there. But um, you can live on the bare minimum, and once you have a child, you can't live on the bare minimum anymore. There's, like, too many other responsibilities, and um, you're, you're accountable for other people. And that that's a, feels like a really heavy weight, of course, when you become a parent. Um, I, t I talked to my mum about it um, because I'd remembered that she'd done A-level art um, and then gone on to start an art degree when I was a child. It must have been in the mid-80s. And she was like, oh, darling, you went to the creche. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. And I, and I remembered the, the story of that. And then I started to read... Uh, Jennifer Thatcher's written a lot about this, but... Um, the RCA had a creche that was abolished. The University of the Arts London had a creche. It was abolished in 2010, so really recently. <clears throat> actually, an ex-student of mine, um, Andrea Frank, set up an organisation called Invisible Spaces of Parenthood with a Goldsmiths graduate called Kim. And um, that was a reaction to the University of the Arts London creche being shut down because she had a two-year-old son when she was doing her course and what she actually ended up doing for her MA show was turning her space into a creche and she invited all of the staff and the students whose kids had gone to the creche before it had been closed down to bring their children to the private view so there's just this space that was a creche um, you know childcare is extremely expensive we were, we were just talking about this Lucy and I earlier and if you want that time and that space you have to seriously consider how you're going to afford childcare. Um, interestingly enough, virgin active gyms have creches with, with, for which you pay a nominal amount of money for four consecutive hours. Now I'm sure everyone in this room, if they were given four consecutive hours without their child, would be like, oh my god, I can do so much in that time. Um, so does Ikea, but Tate Modern doesn't. I mean, this is just completely baffling to me. And my partner last night was saying, but why is it the responsibility of Tate Modern to have a question? I was like, well, it's not their responsibility, but there's got to be a massive demand for it. And why is it not even a consideration? Um, anyway, I'll talk about that maybe later, because I could go on about it forever and ever and ever. Um, interestingly enough, um, Kim and Andrea's project is now being part-funded by the Serpentine and showroom but what's interesting is that their work has now become the crash and that's great and I think that's really interesting work because it's socially engaged and it's political um, but it has had to become their work rather than they're just existing a crash anyway and being able to make an abstract painting if you wanted that's got nothing to do with like I think it's I like work when people make their work about their life and their children but it shouldn't have to be that way and that's kind of how their success has come which I think is a a double-edged sword, I think it's another thing to think about. Um, 
And of course, what if you can't afford childcare? What if you don't have a partner? What if you're a single parent? What if you don't have close family and friends to help? And all of that kind of stuff makes it even more complicated. Nearly done, promise. Um, and there is just a, I have to say, there is a, it feels to me like there's a general feeling that nothing explicit is said by individuals in the art world, but there's just, just a general feeling of it being a challenge suddenly. Um, Suzanne McClelland, who's this uh, fantastic painter from New York, again, I was listening to her talk um, at the School of Visual Arts in, in New York. She was on a panel of female artists talking about this very subject. It's on um, a blog called... It's called something like, How Do We Do Both? And it's on the subject of parenting and being an artist. And um, she says, you know, the art world thinks it's liberal, right? Everything is okay, everything is cool, but actually it's not. And she, this, is, this is the same artist that's got these two children with a big gap. And she's saying, you know, they, nobody ever tells you you can't have kids. No one actually explicitly sits you down and says, you're mad, why are you having a child? But suddenly all these doors start to close. Um, and, you know, this is very unscientific, but as Russell was saying earlier, there are just so many stories, so many anecdotes, so many complaints, not only from women, but I would say the majority of the time from women who, who feel that door closing, who feel that kind of blockage. Um, so for me, where I am now is that I had to, I've had to completely change the infrastructure of, of my working life. Um, and if I, I knew that if I wanted to carry on making my artwork and have a family and have you know the um cliched room of my own that i actually also needed to be financially independent and for me that was that's been a big part of the past three years because my daughter's three now um is getting myself to a point where what i'm doing to earn a living is lucrative enough to support all of the other things in my life that it was strategically something that my partner and I sat down and decided to do because we also thought it would bring more parity with childcare in our relationship. But it's never something I thought I'd end up doing. We now run our own business, and one of the main reasons for that is to earn a certain amount of money. And I, I conceptually never considered myself that kind of person that would think in that way. Um, but I'm solely doing it so that I can sort, support my practice and have a, and have a family. Um, and then just lastly, um, I, I've realised I've sort of become one of those artists as well who, whereby the lines are being blurred between studio and home and family and, and my art practice. Um, and looking at really inspirational artists, like, obvious, I mean, Mary Kelly is a very obvious kind of example, um, and Leia Lublin and Mel Ladham Nucleus and all those sort of DIY, second-wave feminist female artists of the 60s and 70s who were, you know, using nappies in their work and cleaning the steps of the New York City Library and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also more contemporary artists who are kind of doing a similar kind of thing because I feel as though those women have, or those artists have been left a little bit behind in the annals of history. We don't see their work shown that much um, Leia Lublin finally had a retrospective, but I mean, she died in 1999, and it was this year. So, um, I don't, I don't want to stop making work. I can't stop the obsession of making work, and um, I also want to be a mother. And I think, 
it's interesting what you said about the art world. You know, the art world doesn't have to be separate, but I actually find myself stepping away from that and away from the institutions and organisations and establishment and more just creating it myself in my own world. It just seems to be an easier and more rewarding and successful way of doing it. I'm just going to end with an artist statement, which isn't mine. It's, um, what's her name? Lenka Clayton. Um, this is her artist statement from 2000, uh, 2012. In common with all new parents, the birth of my first child in April 2011 changed many things in my life. One of those changes has been the way I and others think about my career as an artist. I find now that many aspects of the professional art world are closed to artists with families. Most prestigious artist residencies, for example, specifically exclude families from attending. Despite a legacy of public artist parents, it still seems to be a commonly held belief that being an engaged mother and serious artist are mutually exclusive endeavours. I don't believe or want to perpetrate this. I like to imagine the two roles um, not as competing directions, but to view them, force them gently, if necessary, to inform one another. I will undergo this self-imposed artist residency in order to fully experience and explore the fragmented focus, nap-length studio time, limited movement and resources and general upheaval that parenthood brings and allow it to shape the direction of my work rather than try to work despite it. This website will document my attempts. Let's see. So she created this residency called the Residency of Motherhood, which is in her home, basically. She's <laughs> just doing it at home and making the most amazing work. So I think maybe that's where I am now, and on that point I'll end. Great, thank, thank you very you. much. Not at all. So now uh, we're going to hear from Lucy, Lucy Newman-Cleave. <clears throat> Hello, hi. Um, so I opened my gallery in 2006, um, shortly after I graduated from the Royal College. And in the eight years or so running up to that, I'd been um, supporting myself doing a lot of freelance consulting works for cultural organisations and making my work. Um, I'd been very, very busy and, and professionally was at a point where I was quite successful and earning quite a lot. Um, and from the moment it became I, apparent that I was pregnant with my first in 2008, I, I, I mean, literally, the work dried up overnight. It's a bit difficult to say whether that's because I was having a baby or because the crash happened, you know, to an extent, a bit of both. But um, I can certainly relate to what Ellie was saying about suddenly doors start closing. But in 2006, I opened my gallery, um, and I opened it in my house. Um, and there are other examples of women who've done that, and having spoken to people like Danielle Arnaud and Domo, I know, you know a lot of them did that because um, they couldn't get good childcare. So having a gallery at home you know, meant that you could do both. Um, I didn't have a child when I opened the gallery in 2006. My first was born in 2008. But I was, I was very clear I wanted to be a mother, and... Um, I didn't, I didn't have the experience of it happening very easily. You know, I had quite a, a lot of years trying to have children. Um, and, and I was very determined that I was going to carry on running the gallery, establishing the gallery, but my children were going to be an integral part of that. So when my eldest son was three months old, we went off to China to do a, you know, an art fair. I showed another of my artists who was a young father. You know, he had his son there. I had my baby there who was rolling around in the booth while we were doing you know, doing the art fair, which was actually great because it was a, a real sort of icebreaker and, you know, I think 
some of the Chinese audience who might have been quite nervous of coming and talking to us because we were sort of you know, white and Western. Actually, they loved the fact there was this little baby there and he got picked up in the local newspapers and you know, it was great, there was this baby at the art fair. And, and that was very much the model. So my, my eldest son is incredibly well-traveled. He's done art fairs in, you know, in New York, in Miami, and you know, all over the place. He's, um, and, and, and the brilliant thing about the gallery was you know, it took us to all these places we probably wouldn't have been to. Um, and then my second son came along in 2010. And by that point, I'd had, the gallery had been open for four years, and I'd really been working hard to try and establish it whilst I had small children, which was no mean feat. Um, but, but I think it, I think what's quite interesting about being a, a gallerist is that you, you know, you've actually got ten children in the form of artists that you're dealing with as well and all of their emotional needs. And, um, and it had just got to the stage where it was a little bit too invasive, so the gallery was taking over the whole of our home and, um, and there weren't enough boundaries. And, and I was really starting to sense that my children needed some protective boundaries and space around them. So um, just before my second child was born, we actually took the decision to move the gallery out of the house. And I, I had another space um, in Kennington in an old Sea Cadet Centre, which had artist studio space above as well. So that opened um, when I was quite heavily pregnant. You know, I was up ladders painting walls, heavily pregnant with, with number two. Um, and, um, but I carried on, you know, really trying to juggle the demands of, of running the gallery, having it make enough money that I could pay myself so I could pay childcare, which was quite a challenge. Um, and um, and in, when my second son was, was tiny, I was probably away for about six weeks of, you know, during the first year of his life. And actually, I can see that that was too much, and it, it really, um, it, was, it, it wasn't helpful for him. Um, uh, the, the, the space I had, I mean, we, we, I was just paying a peppercorn rent on, so it was, it was kind of, you know, just about sustainable, although, as I said, I think I, think I probably skewed my time too much towards supporting the gallery and perhaps didn't spend enough time with the kids. Um, and, um, and, but the, um, the arrangement I had for the space came to an end. Um, so I had a year where I didn't have a space at all, which was actually quite helpful to then, you know, put a bit more time into the kids um, and, and curate pop-up shows. And then I opened a third space on Lower Marsh, um, and, you know, this was a sort of, a, I was paying a proper commercial rent, business rates were huge, um, the market was just getting worse and worse, and there was ever more pressure to be doing art fairs to make enough money, and you know, nothing was really selling through domestic sort of shows, um, so I was having to do more and more art fairs to make enough money just to pay the business rates and keep the space running. Um, and then I got pregnant again um, with my daughter, so about a month before she was born I actually closed, um, closed my space, because I could see that the only way I could keep it going was to carry on doing loads and loads of art fairs and that really wasn't compatible with you know that now three children my son's both at school um, so I, I closed the space and I, and I liquidated the limited company that was supporting the gallery and took things back to a, a very pared down um, sort of sole trader model where I'm still working with the same artists I'm not defining very closely what Man and Eve Projects is um, but but keeping it going in a way that if I wanted to in the future, I could, I could sort of ramp it up again. Um, alongside all of that, so that's the sort of um, the arch, I suppose, of, of my story over the last eight years. I suppose I've, I feel definitely like, you know, in, in the eight years of having the gallery open, I, I spent as much money and time on it as I would have done on any of my children's. It's felt a bit like killing one of my babies, which has been a really hard, emotionally hard thing to do. Um, 
I was quite struck, I don't know if anyone read the Isabel Graw article on kids in the art world before coming today, but, you know, she made the point that actually up until her 40s she'd thrown everything into, you know, into establishing herself in the art world and then was quite pleased to step back when she had children. But I think what was, and, and it was easier that way, but what was quite difficult for me was trying to establish the gallery whilst I had a young family. And definitely I think um, other people's perceptions of what I was doing were perhaps suspicious, perhaps didn't t take me as seriously because I couldn't be out every night. You know, I wasn't out drinking with everyone and going to loads and loads of private views. I was... I was doing as much as I could, but I, I was never going to be able to do as much as, as um, perhaps people with fewer commitments could. Um, what strikes me about, um, you know, I work closely with a lot of artists who do now have um, young families. Um, it's not exclusively a gendered issue. Um, I, you know, quite a lot of the male artists I work with do have young families. Some of them share childcare equally with their partners. Their partners may also be artists or, or work in a kind of freelance capacity. Um, and so I do know some guys who are doing quite a lot of the childcare. I think it's much easier if one of you has a, a stable income where you've got two people who are freelancing or artists in, in a relationship. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Um, my husband's a, a criminal barrister. You know, he's freelance, so he has all the sort of negatives of, you know, kind of uneven income and, and crazy long working hours. And, you know, but he's, he's not in control of... of you know, when, when he does his work, that's, you know, when his clerk's telling him he has to be in court, he has to be in court. So he's not really been able to reduce his working hours. So, the, the, you know, the, the bulk of the childcare has fallen on me um, or on, you know, when we've been able to afford uh, additional help and childcare help. Um, we've had, I think, various arrangements that have worked better than others, but I, I tend to find that whatever childcare arrangement you have, it only lasts for about six months and then something in your background situation changes or your children get to a... You know, they get older, they, they go to a new nursery, they start at school, and suddenly everything changes again. Um, and I, I think those experiences are shared by male and female artists. Quite a lot of the male artists I know who've got children feel a, a lot of pressure, perhaps not to be doing as much of the childcare, but certainly to be earning more when, you know, you, you drop down to one income probably for a while, having, having been on two incomes. So I think that the challenges are not just gendered, they're certainly economic. Um, perceptions in the art world don't help. Um, and at the same time, there are some really positive examples of, of ways people help each other out and, and try and make things work. So I've got, I can see several people in the audience here who, um, who I've, you know, have helped me look after my children. We have, you know, we exchange childcare. Um, I look after their children, they look after mine to, to make time for each other. Um, uh, Helen, who's here, I know used to have a, a, you know, with, with the artist in the studio next door to her, they, they opened up a space between the studios and had a, a playpen and, and both used to take in their children to be in the studio, which was kind of fine apart from when you were making very messy, messy and slightly dangerous and hazardous work. Um, <laughs> but, you know, your children then get to a stage where that's not that easy. Um, you know, when they're tiny babies, when there's just one of them, it's easier to take them around to private views or to see exhibitions. When there's two of them, when they get a bit older, it's not that easy. Um, I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is a conversation, so yeah. a certain amount of rambling is fine. But I, I wanted to, first of all, thank you both very much for that really thoughtful overview of kind of everything. I think we've touched on basically almost everything that all the previous conversations have also touched on, which has been what's really interesting for me about this as well. One of the things that's come up a few times before is this idea of being a professional artist. And you were saying about 
uh, early about being a professional artist and but often you don't get paid for that so you end up having to essentially pay to be an artist yeah. being an artist is one of those jobs that you have to pay to do a bit like being a pay. gallerist a bit like <laughs> being, yeah, exactly yes yes it's not it's not just about um, being an artist it's kind of the whole art world there's there's a American critic Jerry Saltz I think who had a big long Facebook rant a few weeks ago uh, he's a critic for the New York Times or something and he was saying that uh, it's not just artists that don't get paid. No one in the yeah. art world gets paid very much <laughs> because it's kind of, we're all sort of at the beck and call of billionaire collectors, and that's it. we fit in with all of their time at, at, on one level. Anyway. Well, certainly writers and journalists and musicians and you know, yeah, they, most they're creatives. not getting paid very much either. So there's there's something kind of systemic within the art world that it's it, because it is so low paid that that therefore has an impact on the production and the display of that work and how that, how that works as well. Um, so that's come up before and also something that struck me both about what you said is that this kind of sense of guilt that you both had at certain points about um, doing this supposedly slightly self-indulgent thing or feeling a bit selfish about it. I think I got that more from you, Ellie. Uh, but, and I'm wondering where that comes from. My partner wouldn't say that about me. That's kind of <laughs> internal feeling. Um, I think. My, I think. I mean, you, you spoke about the. You're splitting your passions, and, yeah. and you know, for me, running a gallery demanded everything. You know, I could have been working on it every single yeah. hour of the day, and I could see other kind of contemporaries of, of mine who, who didn't have children seeing how much more work they could put in and yeah but it was still really tough it was like you know yeah I, I could be doing it all day and it would I'd never be able to give it enough time enough money enough attention enough you know and, and the children actually possibly slightly less demanding actually but easier but you know but they need a lot of time and love and um and it's uh, you know, and they need it at times that are incompatible with the art world. You know, it makes yeah. a big difference to my kids that I pick them up from school as yeah. much as possible and take them to their after-school things and give them tea and put them to bed. You know, that's the sort of, you know, that kind of 3.30 to 8 o'clock is the time I really try not to allow interruptions. Yeah. Um, I can go out after 8, but actually most of the private views are finished. Everyone's finished, just moved yeah. to the pub. And yeah. Great, you know. Um, so... There's an article by a theatre critic in The Guardian, and she's saying the same thing. She's saying everything that happens professionally for you as a creative is a bed and bath hour. Yeah. It's that period of time where you really, you kind of really have to be there, and it's when everything really exciting is happening, and you totally feel like you're missing out on everything. And I never went to that many openings anyway, but now I don't go to any, really, hardly ever. Um, I did, I had a period of being like, I'm going and I'm taking her with me. And I did, and it was, it was okay. But it you was, can do it when they're tiny. You can do it when, when they're, they're when like, you're your breastfeeding and they're in a sling. But I think she was, the last time we went, she was about 18 months and it was pretty disastrous. Yeah. It was horrible for her, it was horrible for me, it was seemed like it was horrible for everybody else who was there and she was the only child there and started yanking things and, um, but yeah that that is difficult and it do, it seems within the art world that seems immovable and I don't know why it is why is it immovable why did private views have to be on Thursday and Friday at six o'clock every time I, I mean I don't know and maybe some some I mean some places are more open and yeah, more helpful. Sure. Like, I've certainly when my third was small, I can remember taking her along to a talk at Raven Row. Right. And checking with her, I said, you know, do you, do you mind if I bring the baby yeah. in? You know, if I'll take her out if she cries. Like, of course you can of bring her into can. the talk. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You know, why are you even asking? And their their attitude was very different to the attitudes I've encountered in yeah. other places. Even places. Um, one organisation. 
remain nameless. But I was asked to go and curate something at short notice because someone had let them down. And it, it was you know, a place that sort of puts themselves out as being very fa family friendly. And my daughter was only a few weeks old, so I, you know, I kind of had her with me. And I had a, someone to assist me so they could sort of take her if, you know. And, um, and they were absolutely incensed that I brought a child onto their premises at all. You know? and, yeah. um, so so is, is some of this, because there is a social element to being an artist, <laughs> like you're saying, a, a lot of it ends up in the pub or ends up in kind of private views, which are usually evenings, weekday evenings, in that, in that period, which is kind of bed and bath time. Um, is that, do you think that is a bit of a hangover from this idea that artists are men? In, in the art world, artists are or at least traditionally have been seen as men. Is, it, is, it, is that a gendered thing? I'm just thinking in terms of the art world, the system of the art world, is that...? I, don't, I mean, it's funny, I think it's, it's only since having children that I've felt that the feminist agenda has resonated with me. Because until the point at which I had children, I was like, I can do anything a man can. I've, I've never yeah. encountered any barriers, I, you know. I mean, okay, the lads are a bit, you know, they all help each other out and stick together. But, you know, there are, there are you know, men in the art world who've been helpful to me and there are some, some women who have been helpful. You know, I, so I, I never felt there were barriers until I had children. And then they became all too apparent all too quickly. So, but That's so interesting. I, I don't know if... Um, I'm obsessed with gender, so I think everything's gendered. <laughs> like, it's my raison d'etre to, to find it. So I'm really biased. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's a historical thing. I don't know. I mean... Because that Thursday night private view thing is so entrenched that there's so many openings mm. on a Thursday night that no one could physically get round even half of them in London. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do wish we had some young fathers here because I, you know, who are... It would be interesting well, to I, ask, I, yeah. yeah, you know, do they feel invisible now that they have children? And if they take their children to private views, are they treated differently? Do people take them less seriously? I, I don't know. I mean, I, again, I'm not going to name names, but I, I know two heterosexual couples who have kids whereby both couples are artists and both of the male artists um, have continued with their practice and both of the female artists haven't. And I mean, and it's very personal and I know that, I know that doesn't happen all the time, but... Um, well, yeah, we, 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 conversely, I mean, straight away comes to mind several artist couples, both, you know, heterosexual couples, where both have carried on with their yeah. practice. Um, yes, and I wish some of them were here. <laughs> so, um, and, and I know couples where, where the, the male artist has stepped back to do the childcare. I think, I think, um, I mean, I've always been interested in feminism, but certainly it's been, it's, it's kind of doubled, trebled since I had a child, and since I had a daughter, even, mm. you know, even more so. Um, but maybe gender's not that helpful to talk about all the time without talking about economics but then that kind of there are ramifications of gender issues there too because there's a gender pay gap and we know that and it's very tangible and there's been a lot of research and you can look at the statistics and so we also know that men doing the same job as women are going to earn more money doing it and if there's a financial imperative because one of you or both of you are artists automatically there's a ramification on the issue of gender there so um, it, it's kind of all, it, it's definitely all linked. I mean, there's that sort of shocking statistic of, of the most, whatever this means, 100 top-ranked artists in the world, mm -hmm. only 
10 are female and only one is in the top 10 or whatever. And I mean, I'm not sure how helpful those tables are. But it, it's quite stark when you look at it, when you're reading it in black and white like that. So apart from the... And how many of those women have families? I mean, I think that's the other, uh, I think that's the other question. I mean, Tracy Emin's been very vocal about it recently. Um, there, are some, there are some good artists with... What did she say? There are, there are some good artists with families. They're called men or whatever. Yeah. I mean, she's such a moron. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which of course you know leaves her best mate Louise Bourgeois out of the um, equation, and Paula Rago and various other stratospherically brilliant and successful female artists. I mean, it's a very silly remark, but um, I, I I don't know somebody like her. It, it does feel to me that there is sort of oh, I'm going to get myself in so much hot water, but. There is a sort of much more typically or stereotypically male way of behaving as an artist, even if you are a woman, which <laughs> can kind of potentially lead to a certain type of commercial success within the art world. Um, again, this is non-scientific. This is my opinion. Um, and I don't really know how to tangibly define that anymore. I don't know if anybody can help me out, because there's lots of people nodding, which is great. Um, but this kind of, I mean, I, and I do have female friends who are doing really, really well in that regard, but they are very, you know, their life at home and their life with their children is completely separate. There isn't, there isn't that sort of blurring of lines. There isn't that what I need is the art world to accept my family and my children and my status as a mother more they're saying okay I'm just going to keep them completely separate, which is the same as if you were working in the city or working as a, or had a different kind of profession and that goes back to us imagining I think that the art world's completely liberal and open and accessible and we're all one big happy family and maybe it's much more maybe we're much more conservative than we think maybe. I think it's half the problem really that we, we do we the art world I mean one of the questions that I wanted to actually drill down to is who who we're talking about when we say the art world yeah. who is that because we're also the art world mm -hmm. so it's so there's obviously this there is a divide somewhere about these other people in the art world that we're talking about uh, but I think that is half the problem, is that the art world does think it's really liberal and really inclusive and really left-wing, so the fact that yeah. it's, you identify bits that it's not, mm. it's quite difficult to convince people that they're not being particularly liberal and left-wing or inclusive, because they, they, it's so entrenched on their mind that they already are. So apart from this um, kind of evening social element to yeah. the art world, mm. what are the other kind of barriers that it throws up that specifically art world as opposed to the rest of the world? I, th I think increasingly how international the art world is, and it's just not, you, you just can't travel as much, whether it's to yeah. residencies, whether it's to art fairs, whether yeah. it's to go to the documentary or to Venice, um, you know, with a couple of friends at the back who we were supposed to be going to Venice together, and I think one of us made it. <laughs> To Venice, <laughs> yeah, one of us made it to Venice, um, but you know it's just too difficult to get even a weekend away to, to go and do as much research and development. And in terms, and I've said it again, but I've said it before and I'll say it again because it was such a huge part of my life. And I mean, there's such a gap in my, you know, it's such a sadness for me not doing international residencies anymore because it was about production of work, but it was professional development. It really, really was. And residencies beget more residencies, and you get shows from them, you build relationships with people who then ask you to do a show three years after you were there. And Yeah, and that for me is... Um, and they're usually larger chunks of time, so, um, you know, maybe a week's manageable, but you can't go away for three months. 
And that, it's that immersion that many artists feel that they need in their practice, which is solitude and, um, you know, being very blinkered and completely concentrated on, on something that, that parenthood just doesn't allow, doesn't allow. Every, every m moment of your day is punctuated. And I find that really, really hard. And again, that's a sort of stereotypical model of the artist, either in the garret or the ivory tower. You've got to be totally immersed and on your own. And, but for me, it's, it's in part, it's true. I do need that to just have the freedom to, to make. And someone, I read somebody the other day saying, it's not even necessarily the actual punctuation of your time sometimes it can even just be the threat of the punctuation of your time that means you're not eight. if you're constantly thinking I've got to be done by quarter to four or whatever it is it, it's everything sort of being stymied and stifled in in um yeah. and what about conversely what about the things that it brings to your practice that's made it better of course you know I mean it, it obviously it has some advantages as well what maybe we could talk a little bit about I mean, I think my work's better. In what way? I think it's richer, I think it's more complex, I think it's more interesting, I think I'm a different type of person, so the work I'm making is different, I think it's less superficial, I mean, I just think it's better work. Yeah. I think when, when you've got less, less time and less of yourself to give to, to your art practice or your curatorial practice, whatever, you know, you're, you're a bit more decisive about what yeah. you will and won't do, so... You just spend less time on... You say no to more. Do you, you find no you say no to more? You say no to more. Yeah, you say no no to more. Um, and does that it feel sort of like involuntary kind of, oh, I'll yeah. do it and I'll do it for free. Yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah, like, Thank no. you for letting me work yeah. for free for you. That yeah. stops, actually, I think. And actually, yeah, recently I turned down what would have been a really lovely consultancy project, um, drawing up a, um, art in the public realm strategy for a, a big, big development that's happening in London. Would have been a lovely project lasting for a couple of years, but actually they were paying such a silly amount of money. Yeah. I thought by the time I've paid the childcare and paid the after school clubs fees and paid tax, I guess it's not really worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm not going to do it. So is it that the, in a way that, you know, speaking as an artist who doesn't have children, yeah. it feels like if I say no to something, then no one will ever want to employ me ever again. Well, it's so the risk you take. I, mean, I, do, I do feel a little bit like that. I've yeah. said no to an awful lot recently because, you know, it, it, because of the economics, you know, it'll, it'll add so much stress to our family setup if I take it on, and the financial rewards won't be enough, and it'll mean time away from the kids. Um, but I, I do worry I'm burning both bridges, and, you know, in a few years' time when I'm ready to really throw myself in again, am I going to be, you know quite a few steps further back that I've got to work up to again rather than you know although you just said to me don't worry about being away because no well but, but I think I'm not nobody's going anywhere <laughs> but you, you know you, yeah no one is going anywhere I mean you know and and actually you know economically things are very different than they were in 2006 when I started the gallery there was still a lot more lucrative consultancy work available there was a lot more teaching you know yeah. there have been so many cuts that actually the environment has changed yeah. extraordinarily anyway, and we don't know how it's going to change again, you know, in the next three, four, five years. So, you know, staying adaptable and keeping your skills up to date, I think, is important and kind of having an awareness of what's happening. But I think we're going to just have to make new models and find new ways yeah. of making it work. You know, the old gallery model is kaput. You know, when I closed my space, I know what, 50 other galleries closed in London around the same time? 
you know, some of those people had kids, a lot of them didn't. You know, the, the model wasn't working whether or not you had kids. So Physical spaces in general are Is, yeah. less important than they used to be because of the internet. Exactly. But, but we, I think we're for still... For all businesses. But we're still redefining what the models are. Yes, so, you know, of course. say for me, I don't have a physical space, and for some art fairs, that's still a barrier. Yeah. For others, it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, for some collectors, it's a barrier. Um, you still need... Artists still need to show work in some, yes. in yeah. some way. And, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to find spaces to show work by the artists I'm working with. But you're right, there's a lot of um, opportunities for mobile spaces and pop-up shows and things just being more transient rather yeah. than the kind of the white cube yeah. model. Maybe on the subject of new models, mm. uh, which sounds very nice and um, positive, uh, <laughs> we should take this opportunity to uh, see if anyone else wants to join in with comments or questions or uh, anything else. On anything that we've heard or new suggestions. Chip in. Actually, well, one on. of the things we talked about, you know, what, what, what would a residency that works for, you know, for parents look like? Because I, yeah, I think the British School in Rome, you're not allowed to have children or partners visiting if you do that, are you? They're, they're quite sort of... Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, quite the, a lot There of are others. There are like lots that, that are like that, yeah. I mean, there are, there are more in the States and Canada that are open to families than here. Or in Europe, that's been my experience when I've been looking. Um, and we know that Eliza Gluckman's trying to set yeah. up at Newhall. Yeah, for, for parents with under under, is it? I think it's preschool, preschool age. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are and there's a I can't remember the name, but there's a big fund in America that's been funding that's funded specific residences and galleries to up their sort of. Um, childcare and kind of family-friendly quota and environment, including some residencies. So, for example, a residency I did at iPark in Connecticut a long time ago, like 2008. Um, we weren't even allowed visitors. And now there is um, a two-week residency. It's only two weeks. It's not four weeks. They're normally four weeks. But it's a two-week residency in the summer, which is for artists and their families only. So they've kind of set up... And it's okay, it's, it's restricted, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. So I do think um, it's possible. It would be nice to see more institutions in London, museums, you know, big funded galleries, perhaps running residencies. Or, or, you know, or not art institutions, but, you know, funding for residencies yeah. that you could just come to each day, you know, and, and with a with a part of the stipend being available to pay specifically for child But care. even if it's a library, you yeah. know, why doesn't the British Library have... Artists in residence. Yeah, artists in residence or, or I mean, I'm going back to creches, but yeah. you, know, you don't need that long. It's just some hours. And I don't even think they have to be free. I think most people here who have kids would be pretty yeah. happy to donate a nominal amount of, of money if it gave them that time and that opportunity. Well, there's an interesting kind of tension between museums and galleries that want to run education programmes yeah. and want to be inclusive to families. They have to, otherwise they don't get their funding. <laughs> exactly. But when it comes to the artists and the people involved in putting on the exhibitions or doing projects there, it's a totally different agenda. Well, Jennifer Thatcher asked Tate, didn't she? She asked a series of large, large organisations, you know, why, why, specifically, why don't you have crashes? And the answer that came back was, you know, this is something we've considered and this is something we've looked into. But what we do rather than that 
is make sure that the gallery is child-friendly, that there are workshops for children and families, that, there's, that there are events for children and families, that there's places for them to eat and places for them to be changed, and it's very accessible in that regard. And that's great. It's really great, and thank goodness that exists. But it doesn't really solve the problem because it's, that is not the same activity as, as an intellectual adult who wants to continue yeah. with their practice, who is a professional, going and experiencing and being inspired by or engaging with artwork because you can't do that in the same way when you've got a three-year-old that needs a wee and is hungry and is... You know, I love being with her and I love doing stuff with her in galleries, but it's not the same activity. And I actually need that adult time um, separate from her. So it's a good answer, but it's, it's not, not answering the question. And I think there's actually so much that galleries, institutions could learn from looking at how even the retail sector does it. So we're trying to buy a new sofa at the moment. So yeah. last weekend we went to sofa.com and there was a lovely lady Glass there. Glass of wine? We were all the other give us wine. Free coffees. You know. And there was somebody there doing craft activities yeah. with my kids. You know, um, so oh, she did this every weekend, come sit on their sofas and yeah. drink their coffee. But actually, how hard would that be for Tate to just... But it's because you're going to spend money. It's because you're going to spend money. money. And it's the same with Ikea and it's the same with Virgin Gyms. It's because yeah. you're going to spend money and you're not necessarily going to spend money when you go to an art gallery. But actually, what you were saying, four hours free childcare at Virgin yeah. Gyms, it's what, Consecutive. 70, 70 quid a month. But actually, it would be a cheap way of getting your yeah. childcare. It's only good. You know, I have to sneak out, the, <laughs> sneak out the fine exit at the back. Because well, you know, lots of nurseries will charge you 70 quid a day. So you're paying your monthly membership fees and then getting your four hours. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. Anyone else want to? In the Tracy Young book, it's quite interesting. The same time, there was an article by Jenny Savelle. Mm-hmm. 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 She's got children, hasn't she? Because she did lots she of paintings when she was pregnant. Two or one year apart. So she right. disappeared off the art team for about five years. And then suddenly she was back and there was this art club and she was having a big show in Winter German Gallery. And um, it, was, it was such a good article to read for me, who had just a newborn and I was feeling it. <laughs> I panicked about being, becoming a mother for so long, I put it off too long. Then mm. again, it was hard for me as well to to get pregnant, but she has some really good quotes, so you can look up the highlights online, but one of them is, you know, having this baby, she's pregnant, she just said to herself, Picasso has no idea. Absolutely <laughs> zero idea. And it was such a nice thing to read at that time when Tracy and the you know, with that terrible quote, so, you know, that made me feel even more panicky about becoming a mother. And Jenny Savile is somebody who's, you know, earns a lot from the sale of her work and is extremely successful before she had children. So if she, you know, if she, somebody like her, that level of that sort of success, I mean, however you measure success, feels that way, then imagine if you're not, <laughs> you're not there yet, which most of us won't get there, um, even harder, you know. Um, but it's just nice to have a normal Absolutely. Somebody yeah, 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 yeah. You absolutely. just something really hard having them close together. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're continuing on. Yeah. Whatever she is, I don't know. Something around role models is interesting in terms of what we're talking about. Like, it's, it's something that maybe people aren't, people maybe don't talk about very much, about having to juggle it. And maybe if more people did, then we could all start to be each other's role models around it as well. You know, the, even the, the, the well-known and successful commercially or however successful women artists who have children as well, 
um, they, they're, they're not... It's not necessarily something they're hugely known for, is the fact that they also have children. Yeah. I, I did love Lord Pollock going up to get... Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very good. Really brilliant. And maybe there's a new generation. But, I mean, mm. you're right. You know, Rachel Whiteweed has two kids. and um, But it's not... She's not um, defined by that. She's not identified by that. And there isn't even that much information about that part of her life. And I wonder if sharing that part of one's life or that element of things, family, is, is important for other artists and for younger artists particularly. Um, Paula Rago, I mean, you can go online and, and listen to Paula Rago talks about her, her kids a lot. She was really wealthy, <laughs> the problem. She yeah. talks about sort of living in her country pile and the nanny looking after the kids yes. in the mansion while she's in the studio. It's fantastic, darling. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I like her work and I really like her and I like the way she speaks, you know, about family. But, um, again, it comes down to the fact that she was completely... Well, she's got four children, I think, Paula Rego. Completely able to do that because she had this huge separation um, and, it was, and she was bankrolled. was Tracy Emin as my accessible way into the art world. Yeah. So when I read the article and the quote telling me that, you know, I, I've got it in here, you know, I could be one of them, but I'm not one of those flaky people, I'd have to be 100% artist or 100% mother. Yeah, yeah. And I felt a sense of fury that you could suggest to me that I could put that one down into me and my mother would all my art by making this choice, which is a hard choice to make anyway, because you don't have children. Um, that's what spurred me on and then then you know it's so intensely personal um, but if it doesn't it shouldn't either and I, I just think there are fewer examples of women who haven't made the separation I think what you were saying earlier about when you're working with students you, know, you teach them that they need to to build an infrastructure to support themselves as an artist and I think when you have children whether you're an artist or gallerist you need to rebuild your yeah. infrastructure yeah. Um, and find the things that, that help and actually you know, you can do some quite useful art networking at the school gates. I'm surprised always how, you know, how much you can do. And, and you know, and you can have meet up for coffee with friends who are artists and you don't just have to talk about yeah. nappies. And in fact, after you've, after you've had your first child, um, you'll, as you'll discover when you have your second one, the, the baby groups are really, really irritating because there'll be lots of first-time mums and you just don't want to talk to them because yeah. actually you're somewhere else. Your yeah. kids are somewhere else, even though you've got a baby. You kind of know what you're doing with that stage. So... 
Um, there are, you know, it, it's nice to meet up with friends who are artists and talk about art. And you're right, you have to invent your own, your own your way own of doing way it, of it and, and it. come together with other people who share your values. And, and there's a group of, um, what's their name? Danica Phelps, she's represented yeah. by a gallery in, in London as well, I think, yeah. isn't she? Um, uh, uh, Ritter's, Ritter's yeah. And um, she, I think there's, um, interestingly enough, she's in a, uh, was in a same-sex relationship, but it was her biological child, and they've now split up, so she's actually a single mother. But she's got together with something like 12 other artists, and they have this situation where they have to do all, or it's something like all 12 children for two hours, twice a week, but it means that you get six hours on your own not doing it. So it's like a babysitting circle or something. It's, I mean, it's you know, very much that kind of DIY 1970s model that I am really all for going back to, by the way, can you tell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of that's to do with capitalism and money and individualism and the way that society has gone in general, of course. Um, trying to have this conversation with my partner without talking about capitalism was really, really difficult because he kept bringing it back to the same thing. But it's true, that idea of community and shared childcare. And, yeah. It's crucial. I have set up a business with my best friend, business partner, so that we could try and earn some money, which is fairly familiar, but earn some money and do the yeah. hers was cancelling mums' art and, yeah, trying to help other mums. Yeah. Mm. They offered to pay money, but it was a great... Social exercise, yeah. but um, yeah, I've actually done But it's like babysitting circles. I mean, my parents were members of a babysitting circle, which, um, you know, the currency was, to you know, shiny pink tokens. Yeah. It wasn't money. And now, you know, babysitters going out for the evening or doing something yeah. is extortionate. Which is another reason not to go to private views. <laughs> it's going to yeah. cost me £10 an hour in babysitting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So was, uh, I'm going to wrap us up quite soon, so if there's any final questions, do have a think about them. Um, but there was a quote that I read on Facebook, on the Facebook page, which brings me back to what you were saying about these, these women in the audience behind you who were heckling you and about your, um, the composer you're working oh, with yeah. as a woman. And there was a Facebook comment that said, it was a single female curator who changed her mind on her offer of a solo show to me the day that I showed up with my newborn baby. Her problem... Justified concerns, perhaps, but it hardly dented my career. It's a highly complex arena of prejudice that happens across all walks of life. Only solution is to just get on with it like every other parent out there. I'm wondering if, if and maybe it's something that it, to find out from everyone in the room as well, if, if this kind of prejudice or these kind of ideas that you're not inter you won't be interested anymore, if it mostly comes from women or from men. Well, there's been some research done I think to say that it that in fact it does come from men and right. that but that we that anecdotally we feel like it comes from women but I wonder if that's just because it feels more shocking when it comes from women I don't know maybe it's just people maybe that's not a gender thing at all maybe that's just an attitudinal thing mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, 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 I don't know I think it's um who is it said there's a special place in hell reserved for women who, who denigrate other women or you know, who don't help out other women? Yeah. Um, I, I'm always a bit suspicious of, of any suggestion that 
just somebody's beca just because somebody's a woman, I as a woman have a duty to help them. You know, just because this artist is a woman, I should show her work, even if I think it's rubbish. Of course, that's not true. Yeah. Um, that said, I think there are many, many brilliant women artists, and I've always tried to make sure there's quite a, an even spread of male and female artists in, in the work that I show. Um, there's a legacy of his sisterhood, though, that feels there um, is. There is, uh, yeah, and I, uh, yeah. challenging it's, when you receive that yeah. information from a from a woman. And you're right; there's no obligation. Um, I guess you expect there to be more empathy. Yes, and and I and I certainly appreciate, um, you know, in recent years, the support I have received from other women, whether or not they have children, and from some sort of. Um, older women who've, who've got on to the next stage, who've, who've been able to impart to advice and wisdom very generously. That's been really important for me, actually, in terms of role models. I mean, uh, two women in particular, one's a curator in, in New York and a professor at Purchase Upstate, and one is um, uh, Eve Ropek, who runs um, the Contemporary Gallery at Aberystwyth Art Centre. Um, both do, both are sort of a generation or two older than me and both have children who are now grown up. Um, in fact, Louise is a grandmother. But for sure, I think they've bent over backwards to show me specific, or to give me a specific type of support. Yeah. Um, when Blythe was first born, um, I mean, Eve like moved deadlines for me and all sorts of things when I was... I can't do it, it's all going to happen in time, that sort of thing. Um... <laughs> So, but they're, but they're probably a, a men who are equally yeah. understanding as well, and I, I just haven't had those rela that relationship with, with them. But also, I make my work about um, representation of women, so it's sort of the subject matter of my work too, so that might be, that might be something to do with that, I don't know. This is not women, women are, it is women who are, who are, like, you know, Responding to the sexism inherent in the artwork. Yeah, that's there already mm -hmm. in lots of ways. In all ways, in just the, but not just the artworks. I mean, not just the artworks. Society. No. <laughs> I think that's what I meant. You know, when I was talking about art, some artists who have sort of adopted a ma male yeah. way of being within the yeah. art world. It, that's. It, I feel I'm really skating on thin ice because I'm I'm not being kind of tangible enough, but it's it's a it's a feeling, it's an atmosphere. There's there's something about an approach or a mindset that feels. Yeah. Yeah. And artists do that about all kinds of aspects of their work. I have this kind of analogy of if, when you ask an artist to do a talk about their work, or when you bump into a friend and you're like, oh, how are you doing? What are you up to? They'll tell you about the show that there's about coming up and the residency they've just done and this opportunity that might happen. They never kind of say, plus I work part-time in a bookshop or I have to work an extra shift in the pub at the weekend because I need the money. I think artists generally do kind of edit their lives to show this sort of highlight reel rather than the cutting room you floor. You have to. 
But do you have to? Though? Why well, do you have it, to? What's that? I don't think working on bookshop is put on the same. No, 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 no. It's not. But but my point only is that artists, when in my experience talking to artists, talk they will talk art. about their art and their practice. They won't talk about the stuff that the infrastructure of support that they have to support all the rest of it, whether mm. it's about money or childcare or elderly relatives that they're looking after or whatever it might be. You know, from a gallery point of view, I, d I think having children's never been a problem in my interactions with the artists, um, and many of them, you know, a huge number of artists come and talk to me about how to juggle, you know, parenting and, and practice. Um, it's never been a problem with clients, and I think they really like seeing your whole life and feeling like they know you personally, yeah. they feel better about buying work from you, if, you know, if they see that, so... Um, you know, my, my kids have come out to dinners with clients, you know, by work. Um, the problems are with art fair organisers. They're with, um, not all curators, but a certain type of curator. Um, and, um, and other galleries yeah. sometimes. Not all, you know, there's, they fall into two camps. And, so, and, and actually I think um, sort of critics as well can be... I, I always feel there's a, a bit of suspicion there. But I, I, you know, I take my kids, I've, I've always taken them to the fairs and, and exhibitions I've organised and, and will continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be bold about it. That's the other thing. I think you just have to say, fuck, no, sorry, no, sorry. Yeah. You know... You just say no. No, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. And... Um, yeah. If I need to breastfeed on the booth, I will. <laughs> so, and I have Tough. <laughs> Is there any final comments, questions, and then we can have a quick Yes. My, my biggest issue is I'm a third year student, and I'm a graduate course now, so I'm a baby. And I just... Well done. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard work, but yeah. how do you start a career with children? Because I think most people, most artists I've looked at and think, they have their career, and they <laughs> stop it or slow it down, and then go back to it, but how do you begin... You make you make your own structures definitely. Um, I think you know whether or not you've got children when you come out of college. You, you just need to be showing. You need to be you know entering every kind of open that's coming up, keeping really good contact with your other students so that you can you know you can get make shows happen yourself. And you try and make them happen in a way that works. For you, I'm guessing, will probably need to work as, as well. So, um, and, and I, I do know that because I, I recently stopped doing my PhD because I, I just thought the stage I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't afford the childcare um, and the work wasn't available, which was going to sort of earn me enough in a short enough time to leave me time to be with the kids, time to do the PhD and, and pay the childcare. So, it's really tough. I think you just have to. Keep going. You can. You will find a way. You know. You will. You will. If you're determined to, you will. But it might not be in the way everyone else is doing. It. You have to. Just that sort of failure. Make the structures yourself. I'll get an evening bar job when my husband is home, and then I'll get stuck doing that thing, and I'll just lose the eyes of myself just because I've been a young mum. Yeah. I think there are pros and cons. I think there are disadvantages of being an older mum as well and getting to... I felt that I got to a certain point where... So I was 35 when I had her. And 
um, 34, I can't remember, anyway, yeah, 35, and I sort of felt I got to the point where I was sort of on the cusp of it happening, <laughs> and actually then it all stopped, and now I have to sort of go back, I certainly didn't feel completely established and everything was sort of in place already, um, and in some ways I wish I'd had, I mean it just wasn't, it didn't happen for me in that way, and your life is your life and you have to make it work, right, but um, in some ways I wish it had happened sooner and that the career had kind of not come afterwards but maybe even happened, yeah. happened simultaneously and honestly I think there are good things and bad things about about both go and listen to that um, talk at the New York School of Visual Arts it's on the blog What's, what did I call it, what was it called uh, uh, how do you do both yeah. because they have a collection of um, they have a collection of women artists who all have children, but are complete, in completely different circumstances, at completely different times of their lives. And they do talk about that. And they also talk about, you know, the, the difficulty of not just having a newborn baby or a toddler, but also what is it like when you then have a teenager, for example, being an artist, you know. So I'm working with a wonderful artist at the moment who's 50 now, and she had her kids very young, sort of initially unplanned, um, when she was at art school first time around and then went back in her 30s to, or in her 40s actually, to do her MA and has had a lot of success in the last 10 years and the work's brilliant and, and actually now her son's at the Royal College as well, you know, so she's sort of doing, you know, there are different ways, there are different, life's hopefully long, you know, God willing, and there are different chapters for different things. If it, if it hasn't all happened by the time you're, you know, 28, then actually it probably hasn't happened to people without kids by the time they're 28 either. Um, I mean, the retention generally for artists after graduation is pretty low. Yeah. Um, there is some research that's found that women who have kids, just women in any profession or any career who've had kids when they're younger tend to be much happier about it than yeah. women who've done it when they're older because they've still got the energy to run around after them when they're growing up. And I mean, my sister had hers when she was in her early 20s. Yeah. And now... She's kind of grown up and left home, and my sister's, you know, she's only like 40 now. Yeah. So she's like, she's still got all this time to do all this stuff. And so she's, it, she's had kids already, and they're all grown up. It so. pains me how many people I know who've kind of waited and waited and waited to get established first, and then they hit kind of 40 and they start trying to have a baby. And, and they can't. They end up spending tens of thousands of pounds on IVF, yeah, you yeah. Know, which may or may not succeed. You think that's the last kind of cost you need. You know, when you're an artist, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I was a mature student when I did my arts degree, and I had my first child halfway through, so I was taking a break, and then I went back and finished it, and then straight after graduating, I got this one. So, yeah, so at the point when, you know, I was thinking we enjoyed the degree, and it was, you know, it's been inconvenient that I've graduated, and but I'm kind of, I feel like, oh, it's the momentum that I might have graduating and everything. But then, you know, I, I remember that um, uh, I looked at the beginning of the arts degree, said, oh, yeah, one of the things that artists develop is kind of resourcefulness. So I think that, again, is what you develop as a mother, like what you're saying about coming around creativity and yourself and certain things that, you're also still I mean you look really young I'm assuming you're pretty young yeah so you're still developing your identity and who you are as an artist and also as a person like I felt a bit kind of 
like the shock of the change because I, I already knew who I was and I knew what I wanted to do and that shock and that shift was almost potentially more difficult I don't know your baby will form part of that moving forward now which is and so it's going to be a symbiotic thing and you won't then know yourself as an artist without a child you'll be younger than me when you'll leave home you know <laughs> wow. I think I think on that uh, point that's slightly good or bad point I'm not sure uh, we should wrap up the formal part of of the talk do um, hang around and have some more tea and coffee and juice if you'd like um, I also at this stage want to thank very much Block 336 for hosting us uh, also to thank Ellie and Lucy for uh, joining us and all of you for coming along and joining in as well. Next week on Wednesday, our next session will be on education, art school education. Um, I've also been asked to say if you'd like, you can, the gallery is installing at the moment, so we can go through and have a look at the space, which I'd really recommend because it's several times bigger. This is just the entrance hall, this is like nothing. Basically, uh, but it, they are because they're installing. There are kind of like you know stray screws and things around. So if you do have children, just to keep an extra close eye on them, and we'll, we can all go through together and make sure that we're all safe there. Uh, but thank you very much for coming and joining in, and um, yeah, see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.